Well, it's 2016, Wayside Chapel. Happy New Year. One of the things that I got to do over the Christmas break and my New Year's holidays was go see the newest Star Wars movie. Yeah. And one thing about my generation is my generation for sure is the Star Wars generation. I remember when I was seven years old in 1977. Yes, I just dated myself. The first Star Wars came out. I got, had the opportunity to go to the movie, and then three years later, the second one, The Empire Strikes Back, came out. And then three years later, the third one was released, Return of the Jedi. And so from the time that I was seven years old until right now as I stand, we cannot get rid of Star Wars, can we? <laughs> not that we would want to. They're pretty good movies and good entertainment. I remember this scene for sure in... The Empire Strikes Back, where Darth Vader announces that he's Luke's father. And he reaches out to Luke. And in James Earl Jones' voice, he says, Luke, come with me. It is your destiny. You guys remember that verse? It was, or that, that, uh, <laughs> it's almost like a verse. You guys remember that saying in Star Wars, I'm sure, because the theme of destiny is one of the major themes in all of the Star Wars movies. And today, we're going to see a kind of destiny, uh, but it's not, certainly not, a Star Wars kind of destiny. Uh, today, we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, and we're going to learn not about Star Wars destiny but today, we're going to learn about God's destiny. Today, we're going to see a special kind of destiny, actually the only kind of destiny that there is. Today, our main point is this, that when prayer meets providence, earth-shaking becomes unshaken. We're going to see an example of where the disciples pray, and the earth was shook. And they took that as a sign that gave them confidence to go and speak the gospel with boldness, with unshaken confidence. When prayer meets providence, earth-shaking becomes earth-shaken. Uh, today we're going to see that what we believe about our destiny determines how we interpret, on the one hand, our circumstances, and on the other hand, how we respond to our circumstances. And we're going to see God's role in all of this as well. And so Acts chapter 4, verses uh, 23 through 31. Before we read our verses today, I want to just bring you up to date again on the context. You'll remember two weeks ago, uh, Michael Loudermilk preached, and there was this miracle that happened after Pentecost. Peter and John were walking. They were going toward the temple. They were going to teach, and there was a lame man in the portico of the temple. And um, he came up to them, and, and he was begging. And what does Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have to you, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And this, he grabs him, this lame man, rose to his feet and goes off praising the Lord and responding to this in an amazing way. After all, he had been lame all his life, we are told. And so it was around this miracle that all these things in Acts chapter 3 and 4 are happening. And you remember last week when Will preached, he talked about the name. That is that everything that is happening, the miracles, uh, the power, everything comes 
through the name of Jesus. Uh, They were not just representing Jesus, but they found their power in Jesus as well. And and so we come to Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, and it says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, that is, their friends, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. I want us to stop there, and I want us to see specifically how these men interpret their circumstances. You see, the reason Peter and John and his friends lifted their voices and quoted this Old Testament psalm to when they heard these chief priests and elders had threatened them and began to harass them is because the rage and the plotting of the nations against Jesus is, in fact, the predetermined plan of God. And we learn that in this passage in verses 27 and 28. As a matter of fact, one of the things about the book of Acts that we see is uh, a, a huge theme of God's sovereignty. Now, like many Bible books, uh, you, can, you can take and begin to study those books, and you can see that throughout those books there is a rope, like a rope with strands that is woven together. And there are certain strands in the book of Acts that are woven together. And one of the things, one of the strands that we see is the sovereign purpose of God taking place through these apostles, through their miracles and through the preaching, through their witness of the gospel, we see the sovereign purpose of God take place and take over as the gospel goes forth to the Jews and the Gentiles. And so um, one, one thing we see in Acts chapter 3 and 4 is these fulfillment verses that show God's sovereignty. And as I was studying this, I noticed this. I thought this was pretty cool. I just wanted to share it with you. Um, there, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, there are three uh, fulfillment verses, I call them. Um, and notice 3.18. In Acts 3.18, it says this, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Uh, the first fulfillment verse we see is the suffering of Christ. Uh, secondly, we see the rejection of Christ. Uh, In Acts 4, verse 11, notice this. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And so we see the suffering of Christ in Acts chapter 3 and 4. We see the rejection of Christ in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And then we see the crucifixion of Christ. That is, uh, in our passage today, that the nations and the Gentiles had come against the Lord's anointed to do whatever God had predestined to take place, that is, to crucify him on our behalf. And so how did these men interpret their circumstances? Uh, notice this in, um, notice this in um, verse 24. 
And when they had heard it, that is that they had been, uh, they had been harassed, they lift their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Uh, the first way they interpret their circumstances is through the sovereignty of God. Uh, they recognize that God was the creator God who made everything. Uh, the second thing that they did in terms of the way that they interpreted their circumstances is they interpreted it through God's promise. Notice as we carry on in that same verse, verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Uh, notice that they interpret it through God's promise to them. That is the fulfillment of the new covenant and the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant on their behalf. They interpret it through God's sovereignty as created God. They interpret it through uh, God's covenant to them, the Davidic covenant and the new covenant. But also, they interpret it through God's word. Because notice it says, said by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage? And then they quote Psalm 2. Now, what's so important about Psalm 2? Why would Peter and John and their friends all of a sudden go to Psalm 2 after they had been harassed by the chief priests and elders? I mean, they could have gone anywhere in the Old Testament and quoted any verse. Why is it that they quoted Psalm 2? Well, Psalm 2 is important because uh, it is what we call a royal messianic psalm. It's a royal psalm, and royal psalms focused on three major things. Uh, the first thing they focused on is the Davidic covenant. Then the Davidic uh, dynasty. So they, they focused on God's promises to David, uh, found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, they also pro, uh, focused on the Davidic dynasty, that is the promise of an eternal throne to David. And then they also promised uh, or focused on the ultimate king, the Davidic king, that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so royal psalms both have a historical purpose in the context in which they are found and a prophetic purpose regarding the Messiah. So the historical purpose would have been uh, the coronation of the Davidic king. Uh, so when David was coronated, they would have read Psalm 2 at his coronation. Now, now Psalm 2 doesn't just say that the nations are going to come against the king. It also establishes the promised rule of God's king. It confers victory to God's king. And it gives the proper response and result of the nations to God's king. And so when this uh, psalm was quoted, it was historical in the sense that uh, it conferred victory to David from God. It conferred the response that the other nations would have to the king. But it also looked forward to the victory of the Messiah. It also looked forward to the nation's response of the Messiah. And in this passage, what we see is uh, Peter and John and their friends utilize Psalm 2 to interpret the events that had happened to Jesus and to look at their current events. And so this Messianic psalm has great importance in this context because it is through the lens of this Messianic psalm that Peter, John, and their friends understood what was happening. Uh, today in our 
in our sermon, in our teaching, I want to give to you four exhortations for 2016. A couple of those exhortations come from how we see uh, God's providence in our lives and uh, specifically um, how it related to how they interpreted God, what God did with them. But then two of them also relate to our response and their response as well. And we'll come to those in this a minute. Uh, exhortation number one, though, let's submit to God's sovereignty, knowing that harassment because of the name of Jesus is in vain. Did you hear that? Let's submit to God's sovereignty, knowing that harassment because of the name of Jesus is in vain. Why do we see that? Why, why can we say that? Look at verse 27 and 28. Here is the interpretation of the psalm. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Here it is. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, what they're saying is that, God, is that the nation's rage against the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was God's script. The way that men acted toward Christ was written centuries before in Isaiah 53. As we look and come to understand the suffering servant, Isaiah 53 says this. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by whom? Smitten by God and afflicted. Uh, Jesus Christ was, came to die. He was afflicted and smitten by God through the hands of men. And so the, the nation's rage from Psalm 2 is actually God's script for Christ. The second thing, though, is that their plot, the way that they carried out from every little last detail to the way they cast lots for his garments and etc., their plot was actually God's plan that fulfilled his purpose. That's the way Peter and John and their friends saw this psalm. And so they interpreted the events, the harassment that was coming their way, they interpret it through the sovereign lens of God. I like the way John Piper puts it. Uh, he says it this way. God's enemies do not even get the satisfaction of saying, we frustrated your design at least for a painful season. In other words, the threats of men can never thwart the plan of God. Amen? And so that was Psalm 2 as it relates to Jesus. This is Peter and John interpreting it back then. Well, what about us today? I mean, it's easy to look at a passage of Scripture such as this and to say, well, this was an Old Testament passage that was applied to Jesus and it doesn't apply to me. And so how do I understand this passage? Well, remember what Jesus said and remember what's going on here in Acts chapter 3 and 4. Uh, Peter and John aren't coming in their own name, are they? They're coming in the name of Jesus. And, and whose name do we go forth in? Now, we go forth in the name of Jesus, right? 
And, and notice that when the chief priests and the elders told him to stop preaching, they told him, they asked him, by whose power do you do this? And Peter and John said, by the name of Jesus. And they said, you may no longer preach in that name. Not that you couldn't preach anymore. You can't preach in the name of Jesus. You see, it was the name. And we, in fact, today, we come in the name of Jesus. I, I remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 15 uh, to his disciples then and, and to us today. Uh, he said this, if the world hates you, it has hated me before. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Exhortation number two. Let's consider our current circumstances as a special opportunity to further the gospel. Uh, you see, we live in a free country where we have free speech. We live in a place where we can go forth and proclaim the name of Jesus in Castle Hills, in San Antonio, in the United States, in our region, and around the world. Uh, we can, in America for sure, uh, we can uh, further the gospel in a special time and in a special way because of these privileges that we have. And so let's consider, let's consider our current circumstances as a special opportunity to further the gospel. You know, when I was growing up, uh, we used to go out and work in the yard on Saturdays. And it was interesting because I would go and uh, there would uh, be a friend that would come over and spend the night on Fridays. And they'd always ask, uh, do we have to go work with you on Saturdays? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, you'll get a pancake breakfast uh, cooked by my mom if you'll come help me at least for an hour. And so I remember we would always go to our dad because we wanted to know what was going on on Saturday. We would go to our dad and we would say, um, dad, so what are we going to do tomorrow? And dad would look at us with this big generalized kind of saying, and he would say, first one thing, then another. <laughs> now, what does that mean? Uh, what that meant in the context back then was that we were going to be working all day. Don't ask the specifics. Uh, we're going to be working all day. And so I'm surely my father's son, uh, because nowadays when Melly and I are talking, sometimes I'll say, first one thing, then another. Uh, Melody look at me and say, quit being your dad. <laughs> and it's interesting because I know what that means. But she didn't grow up in my family, so she has no clue what that means. Uh, another one that my dad would often say is so on and so forth. And so what are we, what are we doing? What do we got going? And he'd, he'd start explaining something. And in the explanation, he would generalize the term. And he'd say so on and so forth. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is what I'm just saying is going to carry on. So on and so forth. It's going to carry on. Well, I understand what that means because I'm my father's son. When I say it to Melody, she has no clue what it means. But I am my father's son. And it just comes out because I grew up in his family. And I have his genes. And I am his son. And it just comes out. In the same way, we have a special opportunity. We have a special opportunity to uh, propagate the gospel in San Antonio and around the world. 
as we have that special opportunity, is what we have in us just going to come out because we're Christ's. We're His. And so we want our testimony. We want our story. We want the gospel to just come out. So what we believe about our destiny determines how we interpret our circumstances, but what we believe about our destiny also determines how we respond to our circumstances. Uh, Notice verse 29 and 30. And now, Lord, verse 29, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice their response. The response is, Lord, look upon, or some versions say, take note of. And so, Lord, look upon or take note of their threats. Now, I've got four boys in my house. And it is, uh, to say the least, quite active. Uh, Four boys, three dogs, and recently a uh, uh, bearded dragon. Uh, So we've got a lot of activity going on in our home, to say the least. And from time to time, one of my boys will come up to me and he will say, "Uh, Dad, he hit me. Or, Dad, he won't share the TV with me. Or, Dad, he took my football. And, And being, hopefully, a wise father, I don't simply go over to the other son and say, Give the football back, let him watch TV, and et cetera. I know that there's always two sides of the story, right? And so I go to the other child and I say, what happened? So he begins to explain his version of the story. And needless to say, it always happens that in his version of the story, I find out that the first child who's come to me has left something out in the story, right? And so I get the story straight and I come to... um, figure out exactly what happened. And sometimes I do nothing about it. But what I tell my boys is this. I'm going to take note of this, guys. I'm going to take note of this because, in a sense, I'm going to, lead, I'm going to load my slingshot, if you will. Uh, I'm, I'm, going to load, I'm going to load up, if you will, with special uh, attention to what has just happened uh, so that I know and am aware of what might happen around these activities in the future. And if it does, I know the history and the story so I can now take action. I don't think the disciples are exactly saying this, but it's almost like that. What they're saying is, God, take note of these threats. They're really not asking God to do anything yet, but they're asking him to take note of it. They're asking him to be aware of what's going on. Not as if he doesn't know in the beginning in the first place, Uh, But it's coming from them, from their human perspective. And so um, they're asking, uh, take note or look upon, consider, if you will, these threats. And then notice what he says in the beginning of verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal. Now, now this Greek clause is a, uh, a pretty rare use of a Greek infinitive. Uh, It is... uh, Uh, structurally given to us, if you will, in the Greek language through the use of uh, the word in, to, plus the infinitive. 
Now, what we, what we do when we come to the Greek language and we see it, when we see into plus infinitive, its bells are going off. Ding, 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 ding. I need to consider, is this this use of the infinitive? Ding, ding. And so when these bells go off, what it tells us as interpreters and pastors and preachers, what it says is, this answers how. It answers the purposeful question. It answers the question how. And so notice what the disciples say in their prayer. Lord, grant to us boldness by while you stretch out your hand, or literally by stretching out your hand. In other words, what the disciples are saying here is they're requesting God to give them boldness to speak his word while he sovereignly empowers them to perform his will in the name of Jesus. See, they're not asking for special powers in and of themselves. They're asking for God's sovereign will to be worked through them as instruments, according not to their own power, but according to the power that he would give them to do miracles and heal and preach the gospel. And so all they're asking for is boldness in light of his power. And so exhortation number three, let's pray asking God to sovereignly use us and give us boldness for the sake of the gospel. But notice in this passage that their prayer is not for their own sake. It's not for personal help. Their prayer is all for the work's sake. It's all for the gospel's sake. It's not to be saved from pain, persecution, or death. It's not for personal help, but instead it's for boldness in the face of threats. It's for boldness as he uses them. You know, in our men's ministry, uh, we have launched a discipleship ministry. And, and no matter how we're discipled, my prayer stays the same. We have a group of four or five coaches that come together every quarter. And in the process of coming together, we do one or two things in that meeting. We have a quarterly meeting in which we pray for the discipleship that is going on at Wayside Chapel. That is the major thing that we do. And why is it so important? Because we pray that men at Wayside Chapel would be bold with the gospel, that they would not just be learners of Jesus Christ, of the things of Christ, so that they could live their lives in Christ. But they would do that, yes. But that they would say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. What you say, I'll do. What you don't say, I won't do. And that they then become reproducers of Jesus Christ right in line with our vision statement at Wayside Chapel. That we're a community of reproducers. But to be a reproducer, you have to give something away. And to give it away, you have to know your story and to know the gospel. And so I pray that our men would have boldness as we go out into our workplaces, as we go out into our world. would have boldness that we would know our story and be able to preach the gospel that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And that by God's sovereignty and his providence, that somebody's going to come to Christ. And then we can take that man and we can disciple him up as well. Notice the results, finally, in this passage in Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31 says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God. With boldness. Notice the result. 
It resulted in a sign from God, the shaking, and a fulfillment of their request. The place was shaken so they would have unshaken faith, if you will. The place was shaken to show them that God was in it. And then notice what it says, though. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Uh, You know, a lot of times we hear these words, uh, indwelling of the Spirit versus fill of the Spirit. And in the Old Testament, saints were filled with the Spirit. They weren't indwelled except for special purposes such as maybe the king of Israel was indwelled. Uh, But uh, in the Old Testament, they were filled for a purpose. They were empowered for a purpose to accomplish God's God's will in the nation. And, And that can happen in a sense today. But today with the new covenant, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us. He lives within us, that our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. But also, we can choose to either yield to that Spirit or to grieve that Spirit. And when the Spirit, through our prayer time, through other people, through the Word of God, begins to uh, nudge us in a certain direction, uh, when that happens, we can either yield or we can grieve the Spirit. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, do not grieve the Spirit. And so... Uh, what's happening here is that these men who have the Holy Spirit within them already are being filled with the Spirit. That is, they're being empowered for a purpose to boldly uh, perform and preach the gospel. That's what I pray for us. So exhortation number four, let's pray. Asking God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, empowered to further the gospel in 2016. Let's pray. And ask God to fill us. And ask God to empower us. So that as a church we may further the gospel in 2016. As we look at this passage today we can summarize by saying this. uh, When the willing prayers of men and the predestined plan of God meet. God will shake whatever necessary in order to strengthen and embolden his people. Uh, To put it in terms of our main point, in other words, when prayer meets providence, earth-shaking becomes unshaken. And these men were unshaken for the gospel. But they recognized who it came from. They recognized that it wasn't their own power, that it was the power of God living through them. As we wrap up, I want to quote the end of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 just simply says this. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Uh, Blessed are all who take refuge in Christ and our sovereign, purposeful God that has a plan for each one of us, for us as a church, and for the nations that his gospel would boldly go out And that people would come to him. When prayer meets providence, earth-shaking becomes unshaken. As we move into our communion time today, I want want the men to go ahead and begin to move to communion. But I I want us to reflect a little bit. As we do this, I want us to remember, I want us to gain confidence And the fact that the actions of those who crucified Jesus were actually the sovereign plan of God 
I know it's hard to wrap our minds around that sometimes, but they were. And this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the predetermined plan of God. He came to die so that we might have life and life abundantly. And so as we begin to play and pass out communion today, uh, I want you to know that this is not Wayside's table. Uh, This is Christ's table. And all those who have placed their faith in him and trusted him are welcome to partake in this table today. Uh, As we do that, you're going to receive a wafer and you're going to receive a small cup of juice. Uh, Would you hang on to that until it's all passed out? And then when it's all passed out, I'll come back up and we will partake of the Lord's Supper together. Uh, Paul calls us not to take this time lightly, uh, but to take it as an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to reflect on what God is doing in our lives and what he's telling us. And especially if he happens to be convicting us of any sin, he calls us to confess that and to take the elements with awe and reverence. It is by grace that we have been saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the free gift of God, our salvation. And God has given this to us. And we have become his workmanship so that we might do the works that he's called us to do. The men are going to go ahead and come and pass out the elements.
on the night of his betrayal, Jesus was eating with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. And he looked at them and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. He also took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of your sins. Take and drink. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your great grace. I thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to freely come and gather in your name. And, Lord, to proclaim your name as we exit this place. Lord, I thank you for this bread representing your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins that comes because you died for us. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now go in the power of God and his sovereign purpose as you exit this place. Go be a witness for Christ.